so they had held hands, and Dad had prayed. Not Grace. He didn't mention food. He didn't mention shelter. He said, Dear Lord, tonight we are going to bury Jenny. We love her, but she's gone, and now we're going to say goodbye. Thank you for the time we had with Jenny. The rest of us have to go on living. Thank you for making Stephen tell us. Jody was only nine, only a third grader. Jody had needed to take her hands back from Stephen and Daddy so she could wipe away her tears. And Jody never admitted to anybody that they weren't tears of grief for her missing sister, but tears of relief that they were going to put Jenny on the shelf and be done with her. Give Jenny a guardian angel, said Dad softly to the Lord. Usually during grace, Jody felt that Dad was talking to his children, ordering them to behave and be thankful. Not this prayer. Dad was talking to the Lord. Jody thought if she looked up, she would see God, and that was even scarier than having to hold Stephen's hand, so she didn't look up. Take care of Jenny, Lord, wherever she is. Help us not to mention Jenny again, Help us to be a family of six and forget that we were ever a family of seven. Dad squeezed Jody's hand. Jody squeezed Stephen's. The squeeze went around the circle, and the Lord must have been there because the lump in Jody's throat dissolved, and the twins began to talk about sports. Even when they were babies, they talked about sports. They had been playing with basketballs and footballs and tennis balls from birth and Stephen showed his B-plus geography paper. He had gotten 42 of the 50 state capitals right. The family sealed up, like a perfect package. Things fit again. Everything from the number of chairs around the table to the toppling stacks of presents under the Christmas tree. The spring family had six people in it now. The seventh was gone. Mom and Dad didn't even telephone Mr. Mollison again. Mr. Mollison was the FBI agent who had been in charge of the case. For a while, he had been as much a part of the family as Uncle Paul and Aunt Llewellyn. The next year, nobody talked about Jenny on her birthday. Nobody sobbed on the anniversary of the day Jenny went missing. Mr. and Mrs. Spring were still more careful than any other parents in the state of New Jersey— but the children were more careful, too. It wasn't because Jody and her brothers were worried that they might be kidnapped, too. They were worried that their parents would be worried. The spring children were always lined up at telephones to let Mom or Dad know where they were. They were never late. They were children who knew too well one of the horrors of the world. The thing Jody couldn't get over now that her sister Jenny turned out to be alive and coming home, was that there had never been a horror. They had imagined all of it. Jenny hadn't died. She hadn't been tortured. She hadn't been cold or lost or drowned or raped or even frightened. Jenny had been just fine all along. It was incredible. When Jody thought of the lancing fear the rest of them had endured for eleven and a half years, in most ways, of course, worry and fear vanished. When she was small, 
It vanished because Jody believed in Daddy's deal with God. If Daddy and the Lord both said stop worrying, well then, who was Jody to worry? But as Jody moved into her teens, the reality of her sister's kidnapping often surfaced. When she brought a library book home, and the heroine was a redhead named Jenny. When Stephen had his first date, and her name was Jenny. When the late movie on television was about kidnapping. When Jody went in the post office and saw those black and white photos, Have you seen this child? She'd feel it again, the panic like burning acid, making it impossible to think of anything else. And the rage, the terrible, terrible anger that their lives had been so brutally interfered with. Brian and Brendan were babies when it happened, still sitting in the double stroller getting everything sticky.